Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد Now that we've entered into the blessed, the mubarak month of Dhul-Hijjah, the last month in the lunar calendar, the Islamic calendar. I found it relevant to reconnect with our tradition, to reconnect with our spiritual tradition and our spiritual lineage. We all know that our, we start from Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam. You see, in Dhul-Hijjah, a lot of us know of people who are going to Hajj. We know of people who want to go to Hajj. Perhaps we ourselves have not made Hajj and we want to go ourselves as well. So let's go back. Let's go back to when the Kaaba was, its foundations were raised. When Ibrahim salam raised the foundations of the Kaaba, when him and his son Ismail السلام, were raising the foundations of the Kaaba, they made some extremely powerful du'as. They made some powerful supplications. One of those supplications was, as Allah records in the Quran, بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ربنا وبعث فيهم رسولا من أنف منهم يتلو عليهم آياتك ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة ويزكيهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم. They say. Our master, our nurturer, our Lord, send within them, send to them a messenger who is one of them. Who will recite your verses to them. And that this person will teach them the scripture and teach them wisdom and he will purify them. Lo and behold, Years and years, generations upon generations, prophets after prophets later, Muhammad وسلم, is born in that same region. And he's sent as a messenger in that same region, to that same land that was once barren at the time of Ibrahim 
I want to spend a little time today reconnecting with the Prophet You know, one thing that I've always noticed, something that's been really touching me lately is, as a Muslim community, a lot of us have had a lot of focus on the Qur'an. A lot of us have had a lot of focus on many branches of our faith. But one branch, one extremely underserved branch, is the study of the life and times of the Prophet The study of his life, who he was. And this is not something that, you know, is particular to one community. This is something I've noticed overall. You know, myself, where I, I wasn't born and raised in Dallas, where I came from, even though I had three masajid near me, that wasn't the focus. In fact, I didn't even know what, the, I never heard the word seerah, seerah, which we now know to be basically the life of the Prophet I never knew that word until I was in my mid-teens. And this is coming from someone who, his parents put him in a madrasa, and he, and he became a hafil at a young age. But I still hadn't been exposed to that. And that speaks of how we don't focus on the life of the Prophet Who was this man? When we talk about Hajj, when we talk about Dhul-Hijjah, who was the one where Allah revealed to him on the day of Arafah, on the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah, Al-Yawma Akmaltu Lakum Deenakum, today is the day that I complete your faith for you. وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي And I have fulfilled my blessing upon you. وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينًا And I am pleased with Islam as a religion for you, as the only form of religion for you, the only valid religion for you. That was the Prophet ﷺ, on the day of Arafah, on the 9th of the Hijjah. So I want to share one story of the Prophet ﷺ that will perhaps bring that point home, that will drive that home for us, that perhaps we need to, we need to connect with him just a little bit more. Because we need to know about the sacrifices this man made for us. He gave up his own personal life, his family life, his community life for us. He cried at night for us. At the Battle of Badr, when Muslims could have gone extinct, he did not make dua for himself. He made dua for the Muslim Ummah. He made dua for the entire Muslim Ummah. When he would weep and cry at night, he'd make dua for the Muslims who came afterwards. And it is because of the Prophet's sacrifices that you and I can stand here in the middle of Carrollton, Texas, not only pray in jama'ah, no, establish the Friday prayers here. That is the miracle of the Prophet Let's just share one of his stories. In the 10th year of prophethood, the Prophet ﷺ was experiencing a lot of abuses from the community. Now to understand the context, at this point his uncle, his main support system, the one who protected him from the abuses and the, mocks, the mockings and all of the uh, persecution by the Meccan leaders, his uncle Abu Talib had passed away. And very shortly after this, his wife, the love of his life, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, passed away very shortly after this too. His wife of 25 years passed away. This is what we know, the historians call Amul Huzn, the, the year of sadness, the year of sorrow. After the Prophet ﷺ experienced these things, he knew he needed need to find support. You and I can imagine that if suddenly you don't have a support system, nobody's on your side, 
You need to find support. So the Prophet ﷺ realizes Mecca is not, is not the, the solution here. He's not going to find support here. He's tried for 10 years. He needed to go out. He needed to find support somewhere else in light of the increasing abuses. Because now the, the Qurayshi leaders see, wait, he has nobody to protect him now. He has nobody to protect him now. So because of this, the Prophet ﷺ set his eyes on the next biggest city in the area, Ta'if. Mecca was controlled by the clan of Quraysh, while Ta'if was controlled by Thaqif, Banu Thaqif. And Ta'if was known as one of the major cities in the area. It was southeast of Mecca by 50 miles. 50 miles. And is southeast by 50 miles. So the Prophet ﷺ sets his eyes there. And he sits out there walking with, his, with the person he treated like a son. His once adopted son, Zayd bin Harith It's a 50 mile walk in the desert. It's extremely difficult. He's walking there. As the Prophet arrives, he arrives in Ta'if. And when he goes there, he finds that there are three leaders there. And there are three main leaders and their brothers. And he knew that if he wanted to affect the masses there, he needed to speak to leaders. He needed to speak to leaders so that it could be a trickle-down system. He could then spread the message of Islam, perhaps gain some support, and that way he'd have at least something to rely on while he's back in Mecca. So he goes to the first brother. He goes to the first brother and he reaches out to him. He, he recites the Qur'an to him. He gives him some da'wah. He talks to him and he says, this is the message of Islam. I would love to, uh, for you to um, learn about it and to become Muslim. And the first brother, he says, if you're the messenger of God, then I'm going to go to the Kaaba and rip, it, rip up the cloth there. Basically our equivalent of, if you're the prophet of God, then I'm the queen of England. He just mocked him, sarcastically. The Prophet ﷺ took it in stride. He just kept going, he said, okay, this one didn't work. He goes to the next brother, the next leader. And this leader, he tells him the same message. And then this person said, did Allah not find anybody else to give this message? Nobody else? Nobody else could be a messenger? It had to be you? Again, their sarcastic tone was there. And the Prophet ﷺ continued to take it in stride. He just kept going. He went to the next leader, the next brother. This one was known to be a bit more reasonable, but he still rejected the message. He said, don't ever talk to me again. Don't ever talk to me again. If, you, if what you say is true, that you really are a messenger of God, then you're too important to talk to people like me. But if you're lying and you're not a messenger of God, then you don't deserve my time. Again, sarcasm, just complete rejection. The Prophet ﷺ stayed in Ta'if. This is the part people, a lot of people don't know. He stayed in Ta'if for 10 whole days, calling out to every well-known person in the community, this person and that person, constantly giving people da'wah, saying, you know what? I'm going to try finding support from here, from there. He went all over the place. And the beautiful part about this is that he didn't give up in that time. He just kept going. But a time came when he realized it wasn't going to work out. Clearly, there was no support to be found here. So then he said, He said, you know what, look, look. You have the right to your choice. You made your decision. Just don't tell anybody about what I've, that I was here. Because think about it, Quraysh has been abusing and mocking him for 10 years now. If they found out that he left 
Mecca and tried to find support elsewhere, that's seen as a treasonous act. That's seen as treason. And, you know, the Meccan leaders already had these weird ideas in their head that the Prophet ﷺ had visions of grandeur and power. And they thought that maybe he's trying to find support elsewhere to overtake Mecca on all of these ludicrous ideas. So he said, just don't tell anybody. Just don't tell anybody. But they said no. They rejected. They said, no, 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 no. We're going to make sure everyone knows that you were here. In fact, as he was leaving Ta'if, they sent all of their hooligans, the young people, the, uh, not to say young people are hooligans, I'm saying that's what they did. They sent out their hooligans, they sent out their servants and all of these people, and they said, stone him. So they created two rows on the pathway while the Prophet was leaving with, his, with Zayd bin Harith And while he's walking, they made sure to stone him and to aim at his feet. Because they knew that he was, he was still an important person. They could not harm his face. So they aimed for his feet. And they stoned his feet so much that they were, there were cuts and bruises. It was bleeding all over the place. His sandals were starting to stick to his feet because the, the, the blood was drying. Zayd bin Harith tried to serve as a meat shield and to protect the Prophet directly. He was trying to block the stones, and in the process, he got hit in the head and perhaps even fractured his skull. Every time the Prophet would fall because they're aiming at his feet, every time they, they, he would fall, the people that were, that were throwing stones would pick him up, force him back on his feet, and throw stones at his feet again. After the Prophet endures this for a few miles, miles, he's running and running and running. After he endures this, he finally gets to a place where they stop chasing. Now, there's a much longer version to this story that I'm not going to share for the sake of time. But essentially, after this incident, Jibreel comes down and tells the Prophet I've brought the angel of mountains with me, the one who's in charge of the mountains. After saying salam, the angel, the, uh, the, the one who's in charge of the mountains, asks the Prophet you say the word, I'm going to make sure that entire city doesn't see the light of day tomorrow. You say the word, and I take those two mountains on each side of that city and crush that city. No one is going to live there. And subhanAllah, after all of the abuse the Prophet ﷺ has suffered, after a year of sorrow, his two, the two most important people in his life passed away. After seeking hope and seeking refuge in these people and being rejected utterly for 10 days, rejection after rejection, after literally being stoned, the Prophet ﷺ said, بَلْ أَرْجُوا أَنْ يُخْرِجَ اللَّهُ مِنْ أَصْلَابِهِمْ مَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَحْدَهُ لَا, شريك, لا يُشْرِكُ بِهِ شيئا. He said, no. I'm not, I don't want you to do that. Rather, I hope that Allah will one day cause their descendants to be Muslim and to, ne to worship Allah and to never commit shirk again. That was his response. Even though they did all this to me, I hope one day their descendants will be Muslim. And then the angel of the mountains responded, Anta kama sammaka rahim. He said, the angel of the mountains says, Indeed, you certainly are the way Allah said you are. 
soft-hearted, merciful, kind. And that's just referring to the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَأُوفُ الرَّحِيمِ That certainly a messenger has come from you. عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ It's hard for him when you are in pain. حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ Constantly hoping the best for you. So kind and generous and gentle and loving and merciful towards those who, are, who believe in him. That's who the Prophet was. That's the sacrifice that he went to, that he went for. It was not, if it was not for this, we would not be sitting here today. If it was... Allah says in the Quran that if you, O Muhammad, if you had a, if you had a crude mannerisms, if you were a rough person, they would all flee from your presence. They wouldn't even want to be around you. And Subhanallah, the Prophet's wish was granted. Later on, approximately ten years from this incident, all those people, that entire city became Muslim. Ta'if, they became Muslim after the Battle of Hunayn. So it's really inter- what's really interesting is how much sacrifice the Prophet ﷺ made for us. And what I want us to kind of unpack, for those who came in a bit later, just to kind of unpack, to kind of review what we're going over. The Prophet ﷺ is our key to understanding the beauty of this month, of Dhul Hijjah. That's the key to understanding this month. We're not able to connect with Mecca and Medina. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about governments. I'm talking about these places, these Mubarak places where miracles occurred. We can't understand these places. We can't connect with these places, whether we visit there or not, if we don't understand the Prophet. If we don't stand at Mecca and realize that in that same place, that's where the Prophet had body parts of animals dropped on him. That if we don't realize that if we're traveling in that area, if we ever visit Ta'if where the grave of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu is, that, that those same people stoned him. Those people that city stoned him. We're not able to connect with these things until we study his life. And this is just one excerpt of 23 years of prophethood. One excerpt, a few days of his life. It is these sacrifices that allows us to be where we are today. The question still remains why? Why are we covering the Prophet right now? Why are we talking about him? You see, many of us may know people who are who have started or are about to go on a, mirac- on, a, on a journey that's going to change your lives, Hajj. And despite the difficulties of you know, the, the, the process of that, they're going on a journey that's going to change their lives. But the reality is the Prophet ﷺ said that these first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah 
are the best days of the entire year. Now you may ask, wait a minute, Shahir, what about the last 10 days of Ramadan? Well, you see, the Prophet ﷺ said the first 10 days of Al-Hijjah are the most beloved daytimes of the year. And the last 10 nights of Ramadan, nights of Ramadan, are the most beloved nights to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ used to fast. The first, the, these first nine days used to fast. Not on the 10th day, because that's Eid, and we're not allowed to fast on Eid. The Prophet ﷺ said that on the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah, Yawm Arafah, the day that the, all the people are doing a pilgrimage, doing Hajj, they're standing on the mountain and making dua, pleading to Allah. That, that is a day the Prophet ﷺ also used to fast. He used to fast on that day as well. And that's the day where the Prophet ﷺ said, he frees, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frees more people on that day from the fire of hell than any other day. Mark it down your calendars today. Some action items. Next week on Friday. Next week on Friday is the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah. Mark that day to fast. Mark it, mark it out. Put on your calendar, I'm going to fast on this day. I'm going to have a dua list for this day. Just until now, from now until then, in these blessed days, there's so much, mubar- there's so much barakah in these days. Spend some time doing some dhikr. Just Allahu Akbar. Every now and then when you're driving, you get in the car, you're driving here, you're driving somewhere else, just say Allahu Akbar a few times. Say Alhamdulillah a few times. Say La ilaha illallah a few times. That has, that's what is the Prophet said we should be doing in these 10 days. But more than that, more than that, what I want, something I want for us to think about to transform the next lunar calendar, the next lunar year, Something that's going to transcend, inshallah, these 10 days is reconnecting with the Prophet Reconnecting with the Prophet لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْرَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرِ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Certainly, you have a perfect, unblemished example in the Messenger of Allah لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهِ For whoever really wants Allah and the last day and remembers Allah a lot. If you find yourself thinking about your own spirituality, if you find yourself thinking about your relationship with Allah, often this is your medium. The Qur'an and the life of the Prophet are two sides of the same coin. We can't understand one without the other. We cannot understand one without the other. Make a commitment today that I'm not going to let the next year be like this year. When I say next year, I'm talking about the lunar year because this Dhul-Hijjah is the last month of the Islamic calendar. That this month, I'm going to try to gain access to the life of the Prophet I'm going to read a bit, of it, a bit about, about his life. In fact, you know, the same way that we in Ramadan, many of us, you know, try to read as much Qur'an as we could in Ramadan and do a khatam of the Qur'an, finish the Qur'an one time. Or for those who memorize the Qur'an, they try to finish the Qur'an regularly, maybe once a, you know, a week or two weeks or something. For those who do that, whoever had tried that in Ramadan, the scholars of our tradition say that there should be one completion of a read-through of the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ once per year. Once per year you, you went through his story at least once. Because if we claim to love the Prophet ﷺ, then that means we spent time with him. That means we learned about him. That means we cared about him. And for someone who made as many sacrifices as he did, for someone who made dua and used his one dua for us, for our forgiveness, for our intercession, the one who on, day, on the day of judgment 
will not be happy until he's every single person who has a little bit of iman in them is taken out of hellfire and taken to Jannah. For that person, it's incumbent on us for us to know about him. We need to learn about him. He loved us so much. The Prophet ﷺ said one time to the Sahaba, if only I could meet my brothers. He said it in front of the Sahaba and they responded, Ya Rasulullah, are we not your brothers? And he said, no, 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 you're my companions. My brothers are the ones who believed in me but never saw me. Who sat in a, in a masjid in Carrollton, in, the, in, in Carrollton and heard about me. Who attended a lecture about me. Who said sallallahu alayhi wasallam after hearing my name. That is the mark of brotherhood. And that sacrifice the Prophet made, that love that he had for each and every one of us, is something that we, can, we cannot appreciate enough. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the love of the Prophet We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to maximize the benefit of these blessed days. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not let a single one of us leave except that he has forgiven us for all of our sins. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all of our worship and to forgive us and to allow us to use these days for the, our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. عباد الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون